0: Middle East tensions curtail Red Sea shipping. America's top truck stops and changes that reclassify many independent contractors. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Proof of Delivery provides advanced transportation systems to world-leading brands, helping to transform final-mile delivery services, boost operational efficiencies, and drive business growth. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service. Visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, ships crossing the Red Sea are under constant threat of attacks by militant groups responding to the Israeli Hamas conflict. To find out how that situation is constraining global trade, Ben spoke yesterday with Ian Aroro of Freitos. Here is their conversation. Winter usually brings a lull in container imports and exports to the U.S.
1: following the busy buildup to the holiday peak shopping season. But this year we're seeing supply chain disruptions in global trade caused by escalating violence in the Middle East. And that's part of the war between Israel and Hamas that has spilled over to Houthi rebels in Yemen. They've been firing missiles and drones at cargo ships in the Red Sea. And in response, many of the world's biggest container lines are now avoiding the Red Sea and the Suez Canal because of that danger, sailing clear around the southern tip of Africa to move between the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. That adds weeks of extra time and extra expense and has really complicated global trade. Here to talk about the impact of those events and what they mean for shippers is our guest this week. He's Ian Arroyo. He is the Chief Strategy Officer with Freitos. They are a digital shipping marketplace. Welcome, Ian.
2: Thank you, Ben. Really appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to the conversation.
1: Ian, for our customers who aren't familiar with Freightos, could you give a quick description of what the company does and how it fits into the issues around maritime cargo?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Freitos is the leading global freight booking and payments platform. Uh, we digitize the connectivity between carriers, forwarders, and shippers, small and medium all the way to enterprise, uh, so that they can operate effectively, efficiently, and transparently with one another. Uh, Freightos is also the foremost global data provider in air and ocean rate indexes, or indices, and you, some of your listeners may be very familiar with the FREDOS Baltic Index, which is quoted quite often in daily in the media, around the globe and is also publicly traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Um, And so we're focused on providing the tool sets and capabilities for the industry to be able to uh, transact with one another uh, globally in a digital format. Uh,
1: Thank you. And now, uh, as we said in the intro, uh, many ships are now avoiding routes through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. Uh, but not all freight is the same. Do you have a feeling from the work that you just described uh, whether these backups we're seeing are affecting certain types of cargo over others? I'm thinking of like oil and bulk loads in comparison to containers.
2: That's a great question. Um, Very interestingly, um, for the most part, it's it's really not affected dry bulk and, and oil vessels all that much. Um, until today, actually, today, January 11th, uh, we saw, you know, a, a tanker seized by Iran, not uh, by the Houthi rebels, which is obviously going to have its own knock-on effects. But in general, oil in bulk has continued transiting through the Red Sea and this Suez Canal um, fairly normally. Uh, however, you know, roll-on, roll-off container. Um, and others have definitely seen a significant diversion away from the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, um, and and it continues to affect it. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, six out of the top ten uh, global carriers in the ocean space, uh, for the most part, are are shifting away from the Red Sea and the Suez Canal until further notice.
1: Boy, that's a lot of volume uh, shifting there. Have you seen that the specific routes matter? In other words, are specific ships that we've been talking about being targeted if they're heading to or from ports in Israel, I think I remember reading, or is it more broad based?
2: Yeah, it's also a great question. I mean, if we go back into the November, early November timeframe, when this all started um, with the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea, the the specific targeting was was publicly stated to be Israeli owned vessels that were targeted. Um, And then that slowly rolled into Israeli port calls. So any vessel that was assumed or believed to be uh, either going to or coming from an Israeli port. Uh, And then that has moved into now what we're seeing as seemingly indiscriminate targeting of um, container and other types of ships, including um, today, you know, oil ship. uh, We saw an, an oil vessel. I'm targeted in the Indian Ocean recently as well, Um, but in general at this point it's no longer uh, just based on uh, whether it's an Israeli-owned vessel or Israeli port call, it seems to be mostly discriminant. Um, And also you're seeing that Costco and OOCL and a few others are now completely omitting all Israeli port calls. And we're also interestingly, you know, it seems as though no Iranian, Chinese or Russian ships are being targeted by the Houthi rebels. Um, And so it doesn't seem any longer that it's that the pretext for attacking container vessels and and commercial vessels in the Red Sea is really about uh, servicing Israeli ports or being Israeli flagged uh, at this point.
1: Uh, Well, let's talk a little about solutions. We saw, of course, a similar backup a few years ago when the Ever Given got stuck sideways in the Suez Canal, our listeners will remember, and that traffic jam backed up hundreds of other ships. Um, Are there any lessons like from that episode that shippers and carriers can apply to this example?
2: Yeah, when you say Ever Given, all I can think of is the number of memes that I saw over the course of like (laughs) the two to three weeks. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a few things that are different this time i mean when when the ever uh, the ever given happened, we were in the midst of the pandemic. There were already log jams throughout the the ocean supply chain there were and there was really no excess capacity during the pandemic. Uh, there was enormous congestion in the container yards an increase in in volume demand and and also dock worker issues globally. Um, and then multiple huge ships started showing up at the same time, which then was already taking longer to unload and return back to Asia, which created a, a backhaul issue. The carriers didn't have excess ships to put into the mix at that point either to solve for the backup. And now they're able to put in additional capacity um, in the cycle, uh, which does continue to create you know, pricing pressure upwards. Because now you have more more ships operating for the exact same demand, which could not have happened during the pandemic. Um, and we're seeing slowly BCOs, you know, large large importers are increasing their seasonal demand due to Chinese New Year and pulling forward inventory, which is fairly normal. Um, imports seem to be able to handle this, you know, seasonal increase in demand. Um, the empty container shortage due to the imbalance in the backhaul, though, does seem to be the the potentially biggest issue at the moment. Um, and likely empty container storage in, in in Asia could cause backup on demand, which will then potentially increase pricing. Um, but many of the ports have implemented offsite container yards throughout the pandemic and are still operating them, which means that that's a big lesson learned to ensure um, container flow, even with uh, a bump in demand.
1: Great point, Ed. We always have to remember that it, it's, it's a big closed loop. You need those containers making the full circle. Uh, looking more broadly, of course we've also seen big backups uh in the panama canal from a, a water shortage from a, a historic drought there um you know it, it, there were also labor protests and pandemic port congestion at u.s west Coasts. uh what can our listeners learn from these challenges that uh, might help them cope with the current challenge in the red sea
2: it's going to sound a little bit cliche i guess but uh i think the biggest thing that we've all kind of learned through the pandemic and and in an ever-shifting geopolitical environment um, is that we have to plan ahead and factor in longer potential lead times and rate increases at any given moment. There, there's no guarantee. Um, and so looking at you know where do you have in your supply chain and, and in your logistics supply chain the opportunity to to shift to different regions um, for you know ports of destination, for instance, in the US if you're used to going east coast maybe you go west coast and then have a longer inland haul Mm. Um, considering regional sourcing diversity Um, but i mean there's constant pricing and market updates which need to be taken into account uh, whether those are you know natural uh, like weather issues geopolitical other disruptors uh, where you know something like the fredo's data terminal which gives real-time you know global rate market updates as well as real-time Um, Factors that could play into disruptions, you know, comes into play these days and age. But also, there isn't really a normal in global logistics anymore. Um, It's always something: tariff, war, drought, Houthis, geopolitical tensions, China, Taiwan, you name it. Um, Expect the unexpected and give yourself a buffer to to be able to adjust your play calls based on whatever the market is throwing at you on any given day.
1: Uh, Great advice. I really appreciate it, Uh, Ian. Thank you for coming on the show and talking about this with us.
2: Always a pleasure. Thank you, Ben.
0: Our guest this week has been Ian Arroyo from House. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Ian and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. In Victoria, all of us have stopped at truck stops at one time or another when traveling on a nation's highways, and some are much better than others, especially in the services that they offer to truckers.
3: Yes, Dave, that is certainly true and we learned this week where to find the best truck stops across the country as determined by those drivers themselves. Um, On Wednesday, leaders at Trucker Path, a developer of mobile apps and services for the trucking industry, released their annual list of the top 100 truck stops. Now that's a guide to top places for drivers to stop and eat, rest, and fuel up as they travel the nation's highways. Uh, This annual list is based on feedback from drivers who use the TruckerPath app, and that app provides navigation services, up-to-date information on the truck stops, you know, things like real-time parking availability, fuel prices, way station status, that kind of thing. Uh, TruckerPath gathered more than 34 million in-app ratings and reviews from nearly a million drivers over the past 12 months to determine the top 100 truck stops. They also have breakout top five lists um, that include the chain and independent locations with the highest ratings in their respective categories.
0: Okay, so what makes a good truck stop? And maybe we need a drum roll, but what is the top stop according to the list?
3: Right, so this year's top stop is the Davenport, Iowa QuickStar number 1071. And that facility ranked first overall for the second straight year. Uh, and it also ranked first in the chain category Uh, Discount truck parking of Pompano Beach Florida, ranked first in the independent category. Each stop is rated based on a pretty wide range of uh, offerings. It includes things like whether or not the facility has clean showers and well-lit parking, uh, evaluations of on-site restaurants and healthy food options, the driver's lounge, um, and the friendliness of the staff. That's all according to Trucker Path. And this is actually a pretty big accomplishment for the winners um, because drivers can rate about 12,000 truck stops and then 11,000 additional fueling locations that are in the app. So it's a pretty wide field of entrance. Um, and if our listeners wanna take a look at the full list of 100, it, there's a link uh, to that list in the, in our story, which was posted to dcvelocity.com uh, this past Wednesday.
0: Well, it almost makes it worth a trip to Iowa to check it all out. Thanks,
3: absolutely. For you're welcome.
0: And Ben, speaking of truckers, many trucking firms are not happy after the Labor Department has released new rules defining independent contractors that could affect how drivers are classified. Can you share why there is disagreement with this? Yeah, I'm glad
1: to. And, and you know, this talks on one of the longest running debates in recent years uh, in, in the logistics sector. Um, it's about whether logistics workers are employees or independent contractors of the people who pay them, whether it's a retailer or a 3PL or a transportation fleet. So we're talking about the people who drive the trucks uh, and, and do all the other logistics work to you know get our e-commerce orders sorted and delivered, all this. This has been fought at many levels, such as California's AB5, among several other state initiatives, uh, some of them upcoming and at the federal level, at the US Department of Labor. And generally, the sides line up with union groups like the Teamsters saying that truckers should be full-fledged employees, getting sick leave and health insurance and workers' comp, while trucking fleets tend to say that truckers, and particularly owner-operators, should be independent contractors who pay for those kind of benefits themselves. So the latest news on this is a Biden administration policy that was released on Tuesday that would rescind a 2021 Trump era policy and now basically swing Labor Department standards toward classifying many of those same workers as employees instead of as independent contractors. This regulation is slated to take effect on March 11th, although a law firm analysis
0: I read said that it may likely be challenged in court before that happens. Right. Uh, Did the law firm explain why it thinks this will end up in court? Well,
1: first of all, the law firm, this is a transportation legal office called Scopolitis said the new regulation creates a less predictable framework for determining that worker status. Uh, This is under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, So that less predictable part is really what a lot of folks are stumbling on. Nobody likes confusion in business. Uh, Secondly, There's a long line of logistics groups that immediately came out in opposition to this new approach. Uh, Just this week, the groups who are loudly against it include the American Trucking Associations, the Intermodal Association of North America, the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors, uh, the National Retail Federation, and even the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association. These groups together, they represent a lot of people in the logistics sector. Uh, For example, the NRF, said that the new policy would create confusion between retailers and all the various contractors they work with. So that's like billing and facility maintenance and data analysis and delivery and marketing, so far beyond truckers. Likewise, the ATA, the American Trucking Association, said this could force a change in working conditions for the 350,000 truckers who currently work as independent contractors around the US. And the intermodal group, IANA, said that it could reclassify jobs for what it calls 80% of the intermodal drayage drivers in our country who are currently independent contractors. So, you know, the status of this new potential regulation may be murky, but if it stands, it could affect a huge number
0: of workers and companies. It certainly seems that way. And like you said, I imagine we'll expect some court challenges before the matter is actually settled. Thanks, Ben. Glad to do it. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also, check out the podcast notes section for the direct links to talk more about the topics that we discussed today. And we'd like to thank Ian Arroyo of Fretos for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Forged from decades of industry experience, Aptian Proof of Delivery supports global delivery fulfillment operations with the tools they need to increase efficiencies, gain real-time visibility, automate communications, and enhance the delivery experience for customers. Your delivery operation could be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service, reduce costs, and drive growth. Aptian Proof of Delivery can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.